This is Dialogue with Drake and Debu. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Sweta Debu. And this is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. Over the past many weeks, we find that all news channels have been flooded with news of American elections. Today, though, that's not what we'd like to talk about. Because while this was happening in the U.S., in Canada, we had two general provincial elections as well as a by-election. There most certainly were a couple hidden gems there, as you said, Soweto, <laughs> as the news outlets were flooded with American politics. Although that's very important, we like to look at things more close to home. The first one that we're going to look at today is British Columbia. So as Sweta said, this was a general election. Now, the interesting thing about British Columbia was this was a snap election. This was not the regularly scheduled uh, four-year interval. This came to a surprise as many when Premier John Horgan had announced that there would be a quote-unquote COVID election. And so this took place on October 24th. The interesting thing about this was that uh, in the province, they were governing with what's known as a confidence and supply uh, with the Green Party. As the NDP had finished the last general election with 41 MLAs, the Liberals as well with 41 MLAs and the Green Party with two. So they had a unique relationship with the Greens uh, going into this uh, COVID election as they had just had the confidence and supply. So this COVID election resulted in a sweeping win for the NDP. They wrapped it up with 57 MLAs, the Liberals dropped down to 28, and then the Greens lost one with two. So as we saw, this was a big win uh, for the NDP in British Columbia with this COVID election. Saskatchewan, on the other hand, had a very different scenario on October 26th when the province held its fixed election. Um, The writ here dropped on September 29th, or the last possible day for the writ to drop and still have the election on time. The Saskatchewan party here under Premier Scott Moe was elected to its fourth consecutive majority government. The number of seats held by the party went from 46 to 48, and the NDP retained 13 seats. Closer to home, in District 10 in PEI, or Charlottetown, Winslow, we had a by-election on Monday, November 2nd. Yeah, so the interesting thing about each of these three elections was that they really happened one after another. The last one and the most recent one, of course, was on November 2nd, which very much so competed with the American election, I think, for a lot of coverage. So it's exciting that we get to talk about it today. But as most listeners know, uh, the MLA for District 10, Charlottetown Winslow, Robert Mitchell, resigned in September. He had held this seat for 13 years, and so this seat was now up for grabs. Uh, The end result of this was that the uh, candidate for the Progressive Conservatives, Zach Bell, won, and this shifted this government on PEI from minority to a majority government with that one-seat gain. What's interesting about these three elections or by-elections is that they were quite different in outcomes, but similar in the fact that they all occurred within a pandemic. We saw a number of changes that occurred that wouldn't happen in a regular year. For instance, an increase in the number of mailing ballots, social distancing at the ballots on the day of, as well as a number of factors. To go over these with us today is political scientist, professor of political science at UPEI, and all-around great human being, Dr. Don Desirud. 
So Don, thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time to chat with us about the oddity that is, you know, pandemic elections. And I believe Emma will get us started here with the first question. So as you know, we're going to be covering three elections today. We've got British Columbia, Saskatchewan, and then of course, PEI. Uh, so the first one right off the bat, we know on September, October 24th, there was the BC election. This was a provincial general. As we know, this was a little bit earlier than it had been scheduled for in the following spring. This was a snap election in British Columbia, um, as announced by Premier John Horgan. As we saw, there was a bit of a change within the provincial legislature. There was a dramatic increase in NDP seats, 14 increase, a decrease in Liberal seats by 12. And then I believe the Greens had lost a seat from the last uh, election and then gained it again. So they've they've become kind of a, a neutral now. Um, so this has changed the atmosphere in British Columbia. As we know, there was an agreement between the Greens as well as the NDP uh, with the confidence and support agreement. Uh, so this has changed the, the atmosphere there. How do you feel this provincial election has impacted the political landscape in British Columbia? I think we're seeing something similar right across the country. Uh, you didn't mention New Brunswick. I thought you, you put, put that one in, in the mix as well. They were the first ones off, off the mark. Uh, when they went to the polls, um, I was quite surprised that they, that they would take that chance. Uh, and in, it seemed to me that they were being somewhat cynical, uh, or maybe even more than somewhat cynical. They were being very cynical in the sense that they recognized that their polling numbers were so strong that even if they even if they dipped during an election, which they did, by the way, um, they would still come out ahead. So the goal of having a majority government uh, overtook any kind of sense that uh, that they were in uh, a, a emergency situation, which they were, uh, and where normally when we have something of, of that seriousness and basically has, in our history has been wars, uh, uh, parties uh, uh, just work together in, in, in some form of coalition or what they used to call a unity government. Um, they didn't want, seem to want to do that. They didn't seem to want to, to, to set up a unity type, type government. Uh, they seem to want to take advantage of, of, of the, of the uh, uh, polling results, the popularity, and then to go into, into an election, and, which is a very risky thing to do. You're putting a lot of people at risk mm -hmm. uh, because of just the, of the contact. And they also uh, had to, to consider quite carefully what exactly would happen uh, if the pandemic got completely out of control. Uh, how would they deal with the fact that they were in an election campaign? Would they be able to even halt the election? That became, became a question. Anyway, the same thing pretty well, I would say, was happening in British Columbia. British Columbia uh, is, is different in certain respects. They, their, their politics is um, more polarized ideologically. Uh, than you would see in the maritime provinces. So the, 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 the party that they call the Liberal Party is a party that, that is not affiliated with the federal Liberal Party, and it doesn't have anything to do with the Liberal Parties across uh, the country. In fact, in, interesting enough, you may have seen this, they're now thinking of, of renaming the party. They, they're realizing that the Liberal brand is confusing people <laughs> and, and not the one that they want. Well, it doesn't identify them as, as the kind of the part of, of where their ideological positions are. This, this, this is, this is a, a, a party that was, that was put together because the Social Credit Party, which had been a very powerful party in British mm -hmm. Columbia for many, many, many years, uh, ran into trouble. And the NDP were, 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 were taking, were taking uh, uh, the lion's share of the votes. And so they, they, they joined up with, uh, with 
the liberals, which were, was a party there, but very, very small, uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the PCs, uh, which again was very, very small. Uh, so in other words, it was kind of like a unite the, the right movement, mm. pull, pulling, in, pulling in a few liberals as well. And for reasons that I don't know, they decided to choose the liberal name uh, as, as, as their name. Um, well, that party is, is, people are now looking at that party and saying, well, gee, you, 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 know, you did really poorly in this last election. You know, you were the governing party, then you went to minority status, and, you, and then, you, you, and then uh, th that didn't work because you, you, you lost, lost a vote on the, on the address and reply to the speech from the throne. Uh, so the government changed, and, and, and now you're reduced down to, to, a, very, to a very small party. Um, so, so the question then where I'm going with, with sort of rambling answer is, uh, has that ideological split in British Columbia shifted, or is this evidence that the ideological split is, has shifted? Is it still a, a province in which you have a substantial number of voters who, are, who would see themselves on the right, and a substantial number of voters who would see themselves on the left, with with a significant gulf in between? I don't think that's changed at all, um, and 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 I, I think that the COVID elections are are. Um, are masking uh, the ideological divisions that are going on that are still present within within, within uh, uh, these our provinces uh, because people are not voting uh, based on ideology they're voting based on a need for security mm -hmm. so so I'm calling these COVID elections because basically they've taken advantage of the fact that people are are worried they're concerned uh, they're scared and they and they don't want to see change right now they want to see leadership that that's that's steady and that, that is going to continue on uh they're they're, they're afraid to, to, to have to start all over again with a new government that's going to maybe come up with new regulations they're just getting used to the ones we have now which mm -hmm. which are which are quite a lot um so that is pushing these parties in, in, into these into, into majorities but it's not the same thing as a, as a vote for the principles of, of that party so the parties that are that are winning these these big these big majorities under these COVID elections i think are are perhaps uh, willfully deluding themselves into thinking that they've attracted voters to their cause. They're mm. not. People are afraid and they, and, they, and they want security. That's a really interesting point. I know from doing some preliminary research in preparation for our chat today, a lot of the opposition parties, particularly in British Columbia, such as the Greens, such as the Liberals, labeled this decision of government as opportunistic, taking advantage of the fact, like you said, that People are looking for some sense of security, some sense of stability during a time in which there's so much changing quickly and drastically and having to pivot. It has been challenging for people. And, and I think people are looking for that sense of security. Now, on the other side of that, I know from his press conference, Premier John Horgan had said, you know, this is a move to ensure stability. This is a move to ensure that we have, um, you know, consistency in decisions moving forward with COVID, knowing that this isn't a short term, this is a long term. Do you feel as though the comments by the opposition parties to say that this is opportunistic is fair? Or do you feel that there's some truth to what Premier Horgan was saying that um, this is an opportunity to create stability during these COVID elections. I, I think the opposition is is, is mostly right uh, in this one. It, it, I'm not saying that they that 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 Horgan is completely wrong, but there's a, there's an odd irony here. Um, the Horgan is repeating what was also said again back to New Brunswick, and and the logic that they're presenting goes something like this. When you're in a minority situation, uh, you, you're constantly concerned that you're going to lose a vote of confidence and be forced into election. So how do I avoid being forced election? 
I call it an election. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I mean the, clearly the election is not something they're really afraid of. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had an election. So, mm -hmm. so, so that argument falls apart very, very quickly. Um, the, it's so, so, so yeah, they want, all governments want to be in majorities, um, uh, or all governments probably do, even if, if they don't admit that they, that they want to be in majorities, thinking of our present government, um, <laughs> uh, because it is easier, right? Uh, uh, but you know, think about why it's easier. It's easier because you don't have to compromise. You don't have to work with other parties. Uh, you, you don't have to come up with some sort of, some sort of a consensus. Um, and, and so, what, why is that better for the for the for the public? Uh, it is not the case that in a minority situation that the minority party, the, the parties in opposition, call the shots. They they are just as concerned about an election as the government, often more so. They end they end up by by giving up on some of their core principles in, in, in order to, to, to maintain uh, um, the situation so that they're not going into an election. Uh, and, and, they, and they pay a price. Uh, and, and we've seen that, you know, here in Prince Edward Island with, 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 with the latest by-election. Uh, it's, it's not an accident that, 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 the, that the PCs were able to get, get that seat from that, that had been Liberal for a very, very long time, and the Liberals finished third. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of that is because of the same things that we were just talking about before, uh, but 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 it's also because the, the opposition parties are are in under these circumstances they are, are handcuffed. They can't be nearly as aggressive and as nearly as 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 critical as they would be be normally because they know that there's a backlash attached to it. So so it, it's one of those double-edged swords. It, it's it's not either either or. Uh, so it's it's a shame uh, it's, that that the, that the ar argument is is that somehow you can govern better if you have you have a majority because I, I think they 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 miss the point that the public likes to see government where people are actually talking to each other and, and coming up with, with with a unified set of ideas. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you made the comparison earlier about COVID and wars, because we find that throughout histories, governments that were in power during wars were the more popular ones, for lack of a better word, simply because of that reluctance for people to have new leadership, to you know take a risk in the middle of a situation of, in, in crisis. Now, if we look at BC and if we kind of compare party platforms a little bit, the NDP party was the only party that had a very comprehensive plan laid out for COVID-19 supports, be that in terms of commitment, commitments for um, recovery benefits for individuals and families, be that in terms of, you know, of committing to having a free vaccine to everyone once that is developed. Uh, the only other party that kind of mentioned COVID-19 was the, uh, the BC Green Party, which talked about having a green and inclusive recovery for everyone, whereas that was pretty much absent from the BC Liberal Party's platform. You know, looking at the emphasis on COVID-19 and looking how that election turned out for these three parties, what do you think this kind of says about the short and long-term priorities of the people in the province? Yeah, I'm not sure what the short term versus the long term, because because I think when you're in a situation like this, it's very very difficult to think of long term. Uh, we're not thinking of long term when governments uh, are are going into incredible debt uh, and not worrying about the deficits. Um, I think that they're right to do that. By the way, I think this is not the time the time for for that kind of management. Uh, but that's that is a short term situation. But I think it, what your question gets back to to something that I that, that I've already said that. That, so why was it that the Liberal Party uh, in, in British Columbia, which had been a governing party uh, before, obviously, and, and had done very, very well, 
didn't seem to be in, in, as engaged in, 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 the, in this election as, as you would expect, weren't as aggressive as, as they could have been, didn't come up with the comprehensive responses, probably because they, they don't see much difference. There's, there's not much else they, they could say, or they knew that the things that they probably would like to say uh, would, not, would not be uh, popular and, and, and would not go over well with, with, with the public. Basically, the, the government uh, knows that the the public is scared and wants them to come forward with with help, um, and and to, then you then if you're if you're opposing that, what you're saying is well, we could help better, or we would be better at it, or we would do more of it, or something of that sort. But you're still agreeing with the central principles, and that's that's a difficult way to, to campaign, and I, and I suspect that 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 uh, that hurt them quite badly. Transitioning to. Saskatchewan, as we know, a little bit different than British Columbia. As we know, the snap election, like you said, doesn't provide opposition parties that opportunity to be a bit more assertive or aggressive in perhaps their opposition to um, both the policies that are being put forward as well as the, what they can bring to the table within an election, particularly with short notice. In Saskatchewan, it was very different. It was a regularly scheduled election. Um, you know, they have the fixed election dates, um, which, um, you know, unfortunately is not the case in all provinces. Um, but that being said, you know, they, they last had their election in 2016. They now have the regularly scheduled one. Uh, as we know, Premier Scott Moe had taken over after the longtime leader, Brad Wall, had been in place uh, when he stepped down in 2018 and then was elected as leader and was premier. This was his first time running officially as premier uh, and was successfully elected. How do you feel the political climate in British Columbia and their snap election compares to Saskatchewan? with a quote-unquote, you know, regularly scheduled election where we didn't see as much of a shift in representation of elected parties because we saw uh, the Saskatchewan party, which is, you know, as we know, a more center-right party, they gained two seats. Uh, the NDP retained their existing seats, um, and that was kind of the most that changed. So there were two very different elections, only two days apart. How do you feel those two compare? That, that's that's an interesting interesting point. The fact that they were they basically held their election when they would normally expect to. Uh, perhaps that added normal normalcy to the election, and not it didn't was not seen as kind of an emergency election, which mm -hmm. is what I think was, was has happened in the other provinces. So so uh, I I don't I'm not sure emergency election is, is the right word. I, I just kind of made that up, but but. It, <laughs> But, but it kind of makes sense to me that if the public is thinking, oh, my God, we have to do something and, and we're, we're in an election, the, the election becomes part of the, the emergency response. And you start thinking of it that way. Uh, whereas in a regular election, it's, 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 it's normal. And, and, and people, I think, are craving things that are normal. And, and it, was, it was probably useful for them to be able to go through, go through that, that, that exercise. Um, but, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's almost it's the, it's the reverse. It, it, I was wondering whether the public would punish parties, governments that were obviously trying to take advantage of, of this situation in order to benefit benefit their uh, their uh, standings. And, they, and clearly they, it did not happen mm -hmm. the other way around. So it's interesting that in the reverse, you know, when, when they're not trying to take advantage of it, they, they, they weren't rewarded <laughs> for that either. So so the public is, is, is can, can be quite perverse when it comes to elections. In that case, I, I, I suspect that they, they did think 
that uh, the government was doing a good job. Uh, you know, it, no matter what else is in the electoral platform, by the way, the only real issue in, in any election right now is going to be COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's COVID or and how how your government is dealing with COVID, uh, uh, and as a consequence, that that uh, uh, translated into into at least success for, for the Saskatchewan party. This election definitely was very ordinary for Saskatchewan, but ordinary also, you know, on a broader level, because the Saskatchewan party has been in power within the province since 2007. Mm -hmm. They've been around the longest um, in power out of any of the current provincial parties right now. And, you know, they've gained seats. They're still fairly popular. And this is not something unusual for Saskatchewan, because we see that over the last 40 years, any party that they've elected, they've elected with, you know, massive victories with a considerable margin over the opposition. And those parties have stayed in power for quite some time. Sometimes we find that premiers often serve two to three terms. So it seems to us that, you know, Saskatchewan seems to prioritize consistency in its governments. And even when you see the ratio of government to opposition being three to one, which normally you'd think the job isn't being done quite as effectively with such large majorities. But why do you think this is different in Saskatchewan? Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure that it is different in Saskatchewan. I think Saskatchewan still is following the pattern that most provinces in Canada, in fact, have followed for most of our history. Uh, you look at Alberta, you know, and, and, and the great long periods of time in which you had one party, Social Credit Party, and then the Conservative Party. Mm -hmm. Ontario, same idea, the Conservative Party was in, was, was in power for like 40 some years um, before, before that, 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 that line was finally broken. So, that, so the norm in Canada has, has been since Confederation for parties to stay in power for uh, at, at least two terms and, and, and quite often for three terms uh, and sometimes even four terms. Now, that's after that, it, it, it's, it's very rare to find, find anything mm -hmm. past that. So, so fair enough. But still, um, that's, that's been a question that, that uh, uh, political historians have, have been looking at for some time because it's very, a very interesting one. And so in my, you know, a lifetime uh, as a political scientist, um, I would have told you that uh, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and to a lesser extent, Nova Scotia, uh, and then uh, Ontario as well, Quebec is a little different, but the Western provinces for sure uh, followed a very similar pattern. British Columbia, oddly enough, was 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 the outlier because they were more vol volatile, and the pattern was this. And 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 so I'm not saying this is exactly right for Saskatchewan, but it's but it's pretty was pretty consistent. For some reason, they got into a pattern where uh, when, when a government lost uh, an election, it was devastating, probably because they had been in power for a while. Mm -hmm. So the devastation of that election loss uh, put the party back on its heels and, and it made it very difficult for it to get its act back together again. Uh, so it, it kind of retreated. Uh, the, the party would retreat. Uh, and they would often go with a new untried leader because they weren't looking for the next premier of the province. They're looking for somebody who didn't have baggage, who wasn't associated with the with the previous loss, uh, who could be have a fresh start. But this person was, by definition, inexperienced and didn't didn't have the kind of a profile. And they all and they would and they would take their time picking the new leader. They would have an interim leader for a long time. The consequence was that the new party that, that, that now had won the election got a free ride. Uh, they, they were governing without any real opposition. The opposition was not 
didn't have the ability to, to really oppose them. They weren't able to offer themselves as a government in waiting. Uh, as a consequence, they had they had they got a free ride, and 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 having a free ride, they did very well in the next election, and so they were able to able to able to win. And so then the party that that had been in opposition, having to be defeated again, goes through the same trauma and this and the same emotional problems, and then and and makes the same mistakes in, in picking their leaders. So eventually what happens is that the government governing party loses, but not because the opposition parties have come up with finally the great new leader, but because the public has just become tired of having the same party in power. Uh, and so 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 now the party that has been in power, they've they've become now they've become so accustomed to being in power that they believe that they, they have a natural right to be in power. Uh, and and uh, and when they lose, they're devastated. And then the cycle repeats itself. And so that pattern that I've just described is very common in Canada. It's only recently that we see uh, that that pattern has changed. Uh, uh, so uh, in, New, in New Brunswick, um, that was the absolute the pattern right up until the end of the 1990s. Uh, and, and since the 1990s, they, they basically have been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between, between the Liberals and the Conservatives. There was one, there, there, there was there, in the Bernard Lord government did serve two terms. And they didn't complete the second term, and 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 in the in in their second term they were they were basically had a, a tie, uh, so they weren't in, technically in a minority situation, but they but, but with there was a situation very similar to what we have here, uh, without a without a without a, a, a green party, but uh, they they needed the speaker to, to to cast the deciding votes, so it was kind of it was almost the same as a loss, and then they and then they called an early election and they lost, and they've been going back and forth back and forth back and forth like like that as well. Here on the, here on the island, uh, we still are in a pattern where you where the government the governing party expects to stay in power for for a succession a succession of elections, uh, and 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 this is an interesting situation for us by the way if you don't mind me segueing over over to Prince Edward Island, uh, because we, we you, we're in we're now in a technical majority with with that by election win. Uh, but uh, the, the the question that the other two parties are asking, uh, particularly the Liberal Party, is whether or not the pattern has been broken. Uh, mm -hmm. So, is it? In other words, should they should they conduct themselves with the assumption that 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 there's that the PCs are going to win the next election because that's what happens, and therefore that will affect the leader that they their, their new leader who, who they choose, what kind of leader that person is. Uh, who, who, what they're looking for, or should they assume that no, this was a, this is a temporary aberration, and they're going to get, get their their votes back, and and they should they should be really really uh, really aggressive, and and just assume that, that that they come back into power, that that will change the, the the way in the way in which they behave. So I so I think what you're seeing in Saskatchewan, back to your question, is that is that they're still in in the old the old pattern, which has been the common pattern. Right across the country, and, and I think, and even when we have the aberration, like like in Alberta with 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 the NDP winning a government, you know, there was a split right, uh, two strong parties on the right, and now once they united, you know, it went right 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 back mm -hmm. to, to to the old pattern, um, and uh, it's, so and so I think I think that for whatever reason tends to be the the uh, the pattern of provincial politics. By the way, there's another theory out there, which, which goes up like this: um, you, you don't have strong opposition politics at the provincial level, almost anywhere. So some provinces are exceptions, but normally you don't. Normally, whatever problems you look at any at any given time, you'll find that there's a strong party uh, in power uh, and a weak, a weak opposition. Um, and I'm speaking, you know, with broad historical strokes. And the reason why is because that's not the natural opposition in, in politics in Canada. The natural opposition in politics in Canada is federal government versus provincial governments. Mm -hmm. So they don't see they don't see the opposition parties as the 
person that's standing up for the downtrodden people that the government is oppressing, they see the provincial government is standing up against the federal government or vice versa. So that's the that's the natural the the, the, the natural uh, um, uh, dynamic, and as a consequence, that's really hard for opposition parties to get get the attention that they need. So the last question that uh, we had kind of landed on before the recording cut out uh, was once we had gotten to PEI. So right. I, I'm sure what all the listeners are most excited about. So as, as we had chatted about uh, MLA, Robert Mitchell had resigned after 13 years in District 10. We had a by-election. The by-election, however, was very different than the general election. About a year and a half ago in the general election, the way it played out was that Robert Mitchell had retained his seat, the Greens had come second, and then the PCs had come third. That was not the case of the by-election. It very much so flipped, particularly for the PCs and the Liberals. So the PCs had went from third place in the general a year and a half ago, now to gaining this seat in the past by-election, the Greens retaining second, and then the Liberals dropping to third. Why do you think that's been the major shift in that seat? Yeah, so by-elections are tricky to read. Uh, it's, you have to be very careful. You don't try to read too much into them, and you don't try to extrapolate them. They're not a poll because they're, they're, they are based on one constituency, so with one particular demographic, one certain set, set of uh, issues that are not the same necessarily as the issue across the province. And the second thing is that in a by-election, the voters already know who is going to form the government or who is forming the government or who has formed the government. So it's not the same sense of empowerment that you'd have at a general election. You don't get the sense necessarily that, that the, your choice that you're making is going to make any changes at the, at the uh, grand level, at the, at the provincial level. And as well, it's not unusual when you have um, a long-time incumbent who now finds him or herself in the opposition and then resigns to have that person's seat flip over to the government side. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Uh, one is, what, is that uh, no matter how good uh, a candidate is, and, and I think that Zach Murphy was an excellent candidate for the Liberals, but no matter how good that candidate is, they don't have the same familiarity, the same, they're not, not as well known as the incumbent. They, they, they invariably suffer in comparison to the incumbent. You get a sense of, from the, the voters that people are saying, well, wh why exactly do you think you are the, you know, the person who can fill, fill the, the former incumbent's shoes? Mm. It's also a question of parked votes. We see this in by-elections all the time. Uh, the government can have an advantage in a by-election. I say can because it's not always the case. Uh, in, in the early days of the government or in the first couple of years of the mandate when the government's popularity is still high, the government tends to have an advantage in a by-election. People would like to see to be represented by somebody on the government side. They have the sense that perhaps they will they will be able to get more from that. They'll have better representation. They have they have a better access to to the seat of power that way. Uh, at the, towards the end of the mandate, sometimes governments find themselves uh, falling down in the polls. They become less popular. It's an inevitable part of the of the cycle. Mm -hmm. Then you might see uh, um, by-elections going the other way. In which case. The, the voters in that writing might be trying to send a message to the government that they're, that they're not happy. So you put all that together, the, 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 the by-election result here was not all that surprising. 
But having said that, there's a couple of caveats that we want to make about, about that by-election. They're important. When I said that it was, wasn't the case that in a by-election that you are changing anything at the top, that you already know who the government is, this wasn't quite like that. Um, this, this was interesting because we had a minority government and uh, a, a victory for the PCs in that riding put them in what we would call a technical majority. So it kind of does change it. So the stakes were a little higher than you that you'd normally get. So that became an, another factor. But the, the more interesting one for me is this. And again, keeping in mind that it is still just a single by-election, a single riding, there's a pattern that seems to be developing here. And you take the 2019 general election and you and you and you compare it to this this by-election in terms of dropping support for the liberals and this is something that i mm. think the liberal party has to take seriously and be concerned about so this is the second election if you like in a row a general election and a by-election where the liberals ended up by finishing third and they've never done that before it's never been a credible alternative uh, at, on the on the opposite of the opposition side Never been three credible parties in Prince Edward Island, so this is a psychological blow. As much as you can explain it away, which which you know which I can't, and which they can, uh, at a certain level, uh, at a certain existential level, the the Liberal Party and its supporters are going to start to and should worry about what's happened to their support. Why 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 were they not able to at least finish second in that riding? So that would be a concern for them. Uh, the second thing, which is a part of that, is when they look at the results of the 2019 general election. Uh, what stands out to me uh, when we look at those results is the fact that the PCs won that election but didn't actually increase their votes. In fact, they, they, they were slightly mm. fewer votes for the PC party. Uh, they, they were, votes were better distributed than before, more efficient, as, as we say. Uh, but the real story was what it looks like, and, and, and until we do some deep polling, we can't really say this for sure, but it sure looks like the fact that there was a major swing of votes away from the Liberal Party over to the Green Party. Uh, and in other words, the PC base held, PC supporters stayed with their party. It was the Liberals who were looking for uh, an alternative. I find that really interesting because um, in general, I think what we can say normally in, 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 or normally in, in Prince of Island politics with two parties, uh, with strong supporters that, you know, and, and, and loyalties that go back generations, when people are dissatisfied with their party on Prince of Island, Tendency is not so much for them to move over to another party that, that has happened, but but not so much that uh, it, it's more to just not vote at all. Mm. Uh, so you'll get you'll get you'll get swings, but what you're getting are swings are, are PCs uh, who didn't vote for the PCs last time because they were upset with the PCs who come back and vote for the PCs this time. Liberals who 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 were happy with the Liberals last time, not happy with the Liberals, and, and decide not to vote this time, and that and that sort of accounts for the for, for the, the variations in the seats. And this is because basically liberals aren't interested in voting for PCs and PCs are not interested in voting for liberals. Uh, what we're seeing here for the first time, I think, is a swing vote away from the Liberal Party to another party, and that was the Green Party. Uh, so that was interesting. So the question we want to ask there is, is, that, is, is, that, is this a sea change? Is, is, is this one of those, those, those elections where you see a sort of seismic shift where the, the basic, basis of support for the Liberal Party is now moved over to the Green Party? Or is this what we call park votes? Are these people who are temporarily voting for the Green Party, but will go back to the Liberal Party in the next election. Or, and this is the next part of, of my analysis, uh, are they just simply looking for another party altogether? Uh, it's, maybe it's the Greens, maybe it is the PCs. They seem to be more willing to uh, look at other options than, than we've seen before. And I think mm -hmm. that was manifest in that by-election. So yeah, we did see the, the Liberal Party come third in that by-election, but we saw the PCs come first. And so 
and the Green Party, the Green Party lost some votes, but they pretty well held their own. So again, I have to come to the, to the sort of tentative conclusion that the, the votes that went over to the PCs had come from the Liberals. And this is why I think the Liberals need to be a little concerned, is that it looks like their supporters uh, have been, uh, are, are, are now more willing to look at options. Uh, and, and that's something that, that uh, uh, is interesting for, for me as a political scientist, but perhaps something that the Liberal Party is going to have to take very seriously in the next, next two years, because we're into a general election, you know, actually fairly soon. Mm. Okay. And that's a very good point that you bring forward too, Don, is that in recent years, we find that people have, you know, less of a strong party loyalty, where folks are still as engaged in politics, but not everyone is willing to be, you know, a card carrying member of a party or just to be actively involved in every step of the way. So I think that's an interesting shift as well. But, you know, we've seen now, um, as you mentioned, as a result of this by-election, we are in a position of a technical majority. So what do you think this will do to the dynamics in the House now? Do you, because of course this past year and a half has been governed by this idea of collaboration or you know negotiation, if you want to call it that. But do you find that the parties will be more um, aggressive as an opposition now? I, I suspect they will be. Um, I'm not sure that they will be right away, though I've seen, we've already seen some signs of the Green Party coming out swinging uh, based on some recent appointments. Uh, so, I, so I suspect we'll see more of that. Um, uh, but so, so they have, a, they have the, the opposition parties have a bit of a problem on their hands. Uh, the, 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 the tone of the King government and the persona and the character that, that, that the Premier has, has demonstrated, the fact that he's willing to compromise, he's willing to listen to ideas from the other side of the, of the, of the House, uh, he reaches out to the parties. Um, that that is working. Uh, the public, I think, likes that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's certainly it's certainly is far more uh, uh, enlightening and 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 uh, encouraging than, than than the kind of acrimonious politics that we see in the past or that we see in, in, in other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So it's working well. And it's interesting when I hear Premier King uh, explain why he thinks his model of cooperative government. Uh, and 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 uh, and trying to get along well with with, uh, with the with the other parties is working. He puts it in terms of the success that the party is having. They're 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 doing very very well in public opinion polls, and then they and they won this by-election in an impressive manner. Uh, but when you deconstruct that, it, it, you start to ask yourself certain questions. Like if you were a member of the Green Party or the or the Liberal Party, and you're hearing that, you may be hearing a different message than what I think. Uh, Premier King is trying to say to the to the to his own party uh, and to the public at large, and, and the message that you're hearing is that this model of cooperation is working really well for the PCs. Mm. They are benefiting from it, and that's at the expense of the other two parties. Uh, Liberals have now lost a seat, and and the, the Greens have not picked up one. So they may not look at that in the same light as what what, what Premier King would like them to look at. It, is that look, we're all working together, and this is and this is good good for the province, they may very well see it in terms of, of the fact that they're, they're the people coming up uh, on the short end of the stick when it, it, with this, this kind of a philosophy. Uh, that added to the fact that, as I said, the, the Liberals and, and, and the Green Party are now looking at the same pool of voters and try, each trying to, to, to um, get those voters to sort of uh, entrench their votes, to, to firm up their votes for their party. Uh, that's, the, that's the competition. So you should so you should see competition between the Liberals and the Greens, and that will mean uh, each trying to outdo each other, I think, in being the most effective opposition. 
So what I suspect we're going to be seeing, if, if not in this session, but in the one that starts in February, uh, are uh, the two opposition parties vying for the, the role of uh, effective opposition. Uh, so we have an official opposition, but who's the most effective opposition? And as a consequence, there's going to be a competition there, and that competition will encourage them to be far more aggressive uh, in, 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 that, in terms of their behavior uh, towards the government. How the government responds to that will be really interesting, uh, because that's, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to be cooperative when the other side is making demands. Uh, you cooperate when, when, you, when each side is willing to give. But if one side is not willing to give, it's, it's, you basically are then giving in. And that, that won't go over well with, uh, with, the, with, the, with the PC caucus either. So that could push them into, into sort of abandoning the, uh, this cooperative model. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenging part I think both the opposition parties face right now is they're caught between two sides that they need to appease. One side is how can we be a assertive and aggressive and effective opposition party, you know, demonstrating that in the House, demonstrating that in the media, demonstrating that in committee, et cetera, et cetera. How can you do that while also, you know, not being villainized for not participating in the, the collaboration that has been oftentimes communicated by government. So they're trying to appease both kind of needs that they face as opposition parties. Uh, and I'll be interested to see, like you say, how that plays out. Perhaps this fall it'll be a bit more quiet, whereas the winter uh, sitting of the legislature will see a little bit more of that tension when it comes to effective opposition, like you say. Yeah, and 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 if if you're in the PC party, and if you're in, and if, and if, if Dennis King was to ask me for my advice, not that he would, but if he did, I would. I would <laughs> my advice. To Dennis King would be just be patient. Uh, you, you don't have to respond in kind. Mm. It's working. What you're doing is working. Uh, people really like mm. it. Uh, so you're onto something here. This, it, this, this is this is this is working very very well. And you can allow the the opposition to become more and more aggressive, which probably in the long run uh, or could very well in the long run hurt them. Um, you have to be careful. Uh, it, you know, don't 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 assume that the opposition parties haven't figured this out and, and, and they'll be more clever than the, the way I just described it. Um, but uh, I, I don't think the the answer for, for the PC parties that, that for the PC party the PC government in face with the more aggressive opposition is to is to uh, react in kind because uh, that'll go against brand basically. Um, so this is going to be it's going to be very interesting. The, the 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 danger for the opposition parties is to overplay their hand, to look like they're they're being obstructionists that 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 that, that they're basically simply opposing for the sake of opposing, even though frankly that that's their job. Um, the, the, the challenge is for them to come up with constructive criticism uh, and construct, but constructive criticism is also tricky because it's, it's, it's every single time that the, that the PC government accepts or compromises with uh, the, the opposition parties and, and goes along with, with, uh, with measures that, that they have requested, um, they get the benefit from having been more open-minded and coming forward with more progressive policies. Uh, in other words, it's, it's, it's hard for the Greens to be able to say, or, or the Liberals for that matter, to, be able to say, look, look what we've done. Uh, they've done a lot. It, 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 that, that, that's not the question. The question is how you get that message out to the public that they are, they are doing their job. So they have to try to find that, that, that very tricky path between being too aggressive and, 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 being, and being too uh, uh, quick to uh, uh, compromise. Mm. 
for mm -hmm. sure. And and it'll be a challenging balance, I think, too, for the opposition parties, like you say, when uh, government has the opportunity to perhaps be a bit more um, wait and see sort of thing, you know, let's play it cool and then let the opposition parties figure it out for themselves. So that will for sure be a challenge, but um, I'm excited to see how it all plays out for sure. One thing though, Don, we saw that in, like you say, these COVID elections that changed quite a bit was the mail-in ballot. Now uh, for PEI, BC and Saskatchewan, there were major shifts. You know, oftentimes mail-in ballot was seen as something that was used for students, who were living away from their home province or perhaps snowbirds that were living you know outside of Canada that still wanted to vote in an election those were really the only times that we saw them used now in PEI particularly anyone could use a mail-in ballot before uh, regardless outside of this kind of traditional practice then what we saw with COVID was uh, in PEI where it was already allowed as well as other provinces they allowed anyone regardless of your situation to utilize a mail-in ballot understanding that mailing a ballot and not having to go to the voting location was of course uh, you know more of a safe way for electors to be able to vote it did not require them to stand in line it did not require them to be physically there um, you know, they could get it mailed to them, get it mailed back, and that was that, and it was a safe option. One example was in British Columbia, between the last general election to this now recent COVID election, they went from 6,500 mail-in ballots to 497,000 uh, accurate and accepted received mail-in ballots. Uh, so there was a major shift there. Likewise on PEI, we saw from the last general election, 0.6% utilization of mail-in ballots to now 5% in this by-election. This is dramatically shifting the way in which, particularly on PEI, Islanders are voting. Islanders love to vote, they love to get out, they love to be there in person, but we saw that changed in the recent by-election. How do you feel as though this demonstration of mail-in ballot or perhaps non-traditional ways of voting in these COVID elections will impact voters' appetite for something different moving forward? Yeah, that, that's a, a, really, a really good question. Um, so let's have a look, first of all, at um, PEI's voting turnout. It's, it's the, we, we regularly vote at higher levels uh, record levels compared to the rest of the country. Uh, very unusual for us to go below the 80% mark. Uh, even when we've seen uh, that, that percentage dip, uh, the actual total number of ballots, uh, of people voting uh, has gone up. So in other words, we have more voters now on, on the list. Uh, and and uh, so, so there's still a substantial number of people that believe that voting is very, very important. It's always been a question, or it's been a question for a very long time, of why that was the case in Prince Edward Island. Uh, could we read into the voting turnout uh, a sign of high levels of political engagement? Um, now, there are, there are other surveys that are, that, are, that are done of Islanders. I haven't seen one recently that try to test their, their political engagement by testing their knowledge of, of, the, of the politics of the system, uh, their, their, their uh, interest in, in ideology. And uh, Prince Edward Island doesn't score badly, but there's, there's, some, there's some issues there uh, that would suggest that, that Islanders don't vote according to ideology or issues. Um, they're, they're not really 
clear on what the differences in ideology is uh, between mm -hmm. the parties, uh, uh, even in parties like the NDP. Um, and um, frankly, the the issue issue the issue differences between the major parties uh, are actually quite minimal. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you look at their economic policies, you'll find that they're they're usually they're usually more on method of of uh, of um, uh, bringing about the, the the policy and not the not the principle behind the policy. So um, when you when you when you when you when Islanders are asked questions on efficacy, do they think that they have an impact? On the outcome of political decisions through through voting, uh, they 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 score fairly high. So, mm -hmm. so it's so it's a big a bit of a mixed bag. One of the theories, though, is and it gets back to what you what what you said, Emma, uh, is that Islanders see voting as a social uh, activity mm -hmm. uh, more so than a political activity. And and a, a duty is, is too strong a word, but people like to do it. Uh, but it's. It's something that you that you you want to do and you want to be seen to do it. People like going out to the to the polling stations. They like seeing people that they know there. We're a small enough island that you invariably you do see a whole bunch of people that you know, and you feel good about participating with your community. You don't feel isolated. It's a way of connecting, uh, and, and these are positive things. That just just because you're 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 not you know making these these sharp choices between between party platforms. This is still a, a form of engagement that you see this as a, as a as a social activity. What gives you a chance to connect with with you, with your neighbors and say, look, look what we're doing together. You if you take that away, my question my question was, um, uh, if you took that away, would people still want to want to participate? And mm -hmm. and what you're telling me is that with with you know five percent, uh, maybe they do. Uh, I mean, in other jurisdictions, the the it, it's a completely different different culture. Uh, but the the change in the way in which you can vote and and and, and before we, we got into the mail-in ballot situation, the, the, the big change in voting was advanced polling. Mm -hmm. So in, in not that long ago, if you wanted to vote in an advanced poll, uh, you, it took a lot of effort. You had to, it, there was a, only a specific day or, 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 or a couple of days that, you, that, you, that were available to you. Uh, you, had to, you had to go to a different polling place than you normally would, usually, usually like a headquarters in, 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 in your, in, you know, in, in the major town, in your area, uh, and you had to sign an affidavit explaining why you weren't able to vote on, on voting day. So it took an effort. And tangentially, by the way, this is why we can't use advanced polls as an indication of anything anymore, because it, it used to be that it was, it was such an effort to do so. If people were still going out to do it, then there must be something up. Well, now it's mm -hmm. easy to do it. In fact, now it's more a question of, of avoiding, avoiding the chore of voting on, on election day. So, mm -hmm. so, so it doesn't have, this, have, have the same cachet. But that was a big change, uh, and that was designed to try to increase increase voting and voting turnout. Uh, and now we have the mail-in ballot, so I so it's going to be very interesting to see on Prince Edward Island uh, how that changes. Are people are, do people find that to be as satisfying or or not? Um, it, it 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 could, it could very well be something like this that that it, the people who want to vote are still going to vote on the day that mm. they, they they can vote it as, sure. as long as they're able to. Uh, and 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 the people who are now using the, the mail-in ballots are, are are those people who who basically that that's not not a real option for them. So it actually could 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 in, in, increase. Although there's not, not much room to increase, as it's at <laughs> pretty high levels now. Uh, but it could have the opposite effect. It it, it could take away the the uh, the pleasure that people get, the social satisfaction they get from actually going out to vote and feeling, hey, look, look, I've done something. I've done something in in, in common cause with my neighbors. Mm. Oh, it's sort of changed campaigning too, by the way. 
Um, you know, it's, 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 in fact, advanced polling has changed, has changed campaigning uh, mm -hmm. because you, you, you basically campaigns have a, have a, 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 a cycle and, and, uh, and an agenda. And you start off and you sort of, and you want to peak at the, at the exact right time. And so you have to sort of marshal out your energies. You have to make sure that, you know, you get that last big push. Well, if, 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 if a lot of people have already voted already, mm -hmm. then those few days before the election where you normally would have that push, don't become, it would become less and less and less important. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's a lot of data around about how, you know, voter turnout in general elections in PI is, you know, typically consistently 80% or above, but I'm wondering whether we have similar amounts of information on by-elections themselves, because this time the turnout was around 66%, if I'm not mistaken. And in 2017, when Hannah Bell was elected in District 11, I think the voter turnout was, you know, lower than was around 60%. So I'm wondering whether, you know, folks feel like they can make a little bit less of an impact in a by-election as opposed to a general election, if it's less engaging, if it's less exciting for them. Um, and if that's why, you know, we typically see a little bit of a lower turnout there. Yeah, and there is a lot of data on that. Of course, we have the numbers themselves, and the analysis is follows pretty well what what you have saying, what you have said. Uh, it's the stakes. Uh, the stakes matter. You know, it it, it runs counter to to a, a a very popular political theory, which which is that the closer the the issues are to the voters, the more likely they are to vote. Mm -hmm. uh, the further away they are, the less likely they are to vote. And and, and the the the, the, the the normal pattern, or the the normal um, the way the way the theory is is is, is fills out is that you don't normally vote on foreign policy issues, uh, and you, you barely <laughs> see those in, even in, in federal federal elections, right? Because you know you know you have no impact on it, but you're going to get really up really upset about you know uh, local issues and, and that affect your neighborhood. Well, you know what? This is not exactly true. It, 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 people get excited about about the issues that they think are big and important, and um, you know they're they're less they're less issue less interested in, in things that, that they see as kind of kind of mundane. Um, and again, I'm speaking in general terms, it's why, it's why civic elections tend to have far, far lower voting turnout than general elections. And so the, the, the factor that, that seems to influence people's uh, voting behavior in general elections is the excitement of the campaign. The fact that it's a provincial-wide mm -hmm. campaign, that there's a, there's a leader, that there's, there's leadership debates, uh, it, it, there's, there's incredible media coverage. It's, it's what, what's what we all talk about. Um, that's exciting. Uh, in the in the by-election, you don't get that kind kind of a buzz. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are are normal. But I think in this time, I, I, as as to go back to what I said earlier, I I think that that, that there was a perception that the stakes were not insignificant in, in this by-election. There was a chance to 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 make a change. Uh, and but though you know there was several changes that could have been made, so it could could have gone either way. Um, uh, and, and a vote for the Greens uh, and the Green candidate would have been a really interesting change. It would have put the the Greens. It it, it would have give, sent the message that the Green Party's uh, support in the in the 2019 election was was uh, not a fluke, and and that they were they were they're a party that was that's moving that continues to move forward. Uh, and voting for the for the for the PC candidate would make a change and, and has by, by giving that touch majority. So there were higher stakes, which, which, which I think, I think allowed uh, uh, for, for, for more excitement within that riding. But, you know, not li living in that riding, I found it really hard to sort of mm -hmm. find out what was going on because, because you just accept, except for social media, there really wasn't much 
much there that, 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 that you could go on. And I think that's a, that's a, a normal part of the by-election uh, issues. Um, you know, by-elections in Toronto at, at the federal level uh, were interesting to watch mm. as well. Um, and, but, and they got a lot more attention because they were, because they're in Toronto and, and, and they get national media attention and you had high profile candidates running, but it was also a, a situation again with a minority government. Uh, in those cases, by the way, both those seats were incumbent liberal seats. So um, it, 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 it wasn't going to, uh, keeping the liberal seats uh, in this, this circumstance was, was, was not quite so surprising, but still, you know, the stakes again, again, were high there. I like to say I don't know what the rolling turnout for those by-elections were, but now that you said that, that'd be interesting to have a look and see what they, they were as well. They were lower, I know. Um, in obviously in comparison to the by-elections that took place on PEI, but I believe they were under fifty percent. Is that right? So that that yeah. is very low. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So so even there, the the buzz didn't didn't, didn't translate into into a big turnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving the conversation a little bit away from the by-election and looking at, you know, voter priorities um, themselves, we find that, you know, looking at the popularity of the Green Party, for instance, which has a very strong environmental-based platform, um, they remained in second place in PEI, increased voter support by less than a percent in Saskatchewan, and maintained their three seats in BC, which was, you know, not very significant on any of those levels. Up until now, of course, climate change was considered the single biggest challenge that the planet was facing. Do you find that, you know, with COVID-19, we've spoken that, no, there's no short or long-term priority anymore. It's all COVID. But do you find that the environment has taken more of a back burner? And what do you think uh, will be the future of this priority? Do you think it's going to come back on people's radars or just declining until we find um, a solution there? Yeah, that, that, that's that's a good question. Um, and in BC, by the way, the, the BC the Greens lost the seat on recounts. Now now they're down to two. Uh, so so that, that does follow the trend the trend that wow. you're that you're taking. So the, the NDP picked up that seat. Wow. So um, uh, yeah. So the it, it's tough for the Green Party. Uh, the the and, and we and we're seeing this you know around the world now. Uh, the 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 bigger environmental movement and all the different. Uh, um, factions of that movement are, 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 are saying, you know, wait a second, the climate change problem isn't gone. Uh, it's, it's not getting better because we're ignoring it. In fact, it's, it, it may be getting worse. Um, and just because mm-hmm. we're into this COVID uh, pandemic doesn't mean that we could ignore those priorities. Well, I don't know. I think that I'm afraid that that message is falling on deaf ears. I think people are saying, look, we have very short-term, immediate emergency priorities. We have mm. to get through this problem. Um, it's 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 kind of it's kind. Of, I'm going to use the water bottle as as the example. You know those plastic water bottles, which are the bane of so so many environmentalists. We don't want those <laughs> things around for a bunch of for very good reasons, right? We we, we all we all know know the arguments. Uh, and 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 then we're in a in a pandemic situation where that might be the only alternative for people in certain circumstances to ensure that the, 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 the water they're getting has not been, been contaminated by somebody else with COVID. So they say, okay, I'm not going to over that now. I'm going to go back to my, my bottle of water and, I'll, and I'll, we'll fix that problem later. Uh, here's the problem with the environmentalist movement uh, uh, 
faces and, and this is what they're trying to tell us. Uh, there, there's always going to be something like that. Uh, there's always, this, is, this is an unusual circumstance, the pandemic, but there's always some, there always, there always seems to be some other emergency that says, okay, we'll have to wait and, and we'll do this later because right now the economy is in really bad shape. Mm -hmm. We can't do that or, or, or you know, you, you name it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. The problem is though that I don't know how they can get that that message through and, and this time because you're asking governments who are um, focused so carefully and so closely on on dealing with this pandemic and throwing all the resources into into you know finding the vaccine getting up the making sure that the, the, the IC beds are there uh, dealing with the regulations and involving uh, lockdowns and restrictions and so forth uh, there's only so much that they that they can handle uh, and and to then start saying okay now we're going to uh, bringing this new measure that's that, that that's that's going to help with climate change uh, from their standpoint they're just saying look we just we our hands are, are full uh, we, we can't we can't deal with it uh, so it's not a, it's not a a, a, a a cheerful message for, for, for environmentalists right now um, but I, th I think they're doing the right thing I, I think they have to sort of keep sounding their alarm uh, keep keeping keeping on message and keeping maintaining the pressure because even if they don't see governments pivot right now, uh, you know, knock on wood, this pandemic will be over, and then uh, the, 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 they'll have to, that'll be the time in which 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 we hope that they will start to move back uh, and 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 read and go back to some of these issues that they've been ignoring over the last last six months. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I mean, it reminds me a little bit. Sorry of. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where you're immune. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and that's fair. I mean, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, everybody, everybody has to be realistic. Right? They have to understand what what the what the actual circumstances are that are facing governments are, and then try to predict behaviors accordingly. It's 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 it's, it's no good to say, well, you know, it's it. Uh, you you have to understand who you're dealing with, and 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 that's always the secret to to. To policy and advocacy is, is understand what the what the issues are that the person that you're trying to get to to uh, uh, adopt a policy what, what what their concerns are what their needs are and and how you, how you can address them but there is there is ways that they they can, they can work together and and the 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 shift in in green party and in fact environmentalism in general over the past ten years has been uh, has has been towards saying you know what a, a green solution is not a, a, uh, a step back economically is it's actually is a step forward economically. Uh, mm -hmm. So they've, they've tried to tie in uh, their advocacy with positive uh, moves. Uh, you know, uh, somebody is going to argue that that in fact they have uh, that that had we adopted some some of these environmentalist policies years ago, perhaps we wouldn't even be in this. Uh, this pandemic situation in the first place. Um, I wish I could, I wish I knew more about that argument. So, so I, but I don't. But I, but, but I suspect that that's that's again the message that, that that's going to come out, which is basically, okay. This is the path towards the the the, 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 the better economy that, that that we that we're going to need, and we're going to need very very quickly. Uh, it's, it's not it's, it's not instead of that. This this is actually where we can get there. Mm -hmm. And I think. To the challenging part and what we saw in these by-elections were that, like you say, both, you know, Don and Sweta, voters have needs, whatever that may be. Right now, it's security. Right now, it's health 
it's a matter of life and death with COVID. And so they're going to vote based on that. And, and I think there's no question about that. But the other piece is, you know, we can't be blaming voters for not thinking about the environment right now because again there there's bigger fish to fry as i always say that they have to be concerned about you know their loved one who perhaps just passed away due to covid or perhaps you know someone who they live with who's immunocompromised you know you're going to be voting with these things in mind where i think the another challenge lies is with political parties is they're going to set their policies based on what are the needs of the voters and so because of that we saw these were COVID elections like you say so there wasn't as much as a focus on the environment or addressing climate change because the voters determined that the priority was on COVID therefore the parties will set their political and policy agenda based on those needs but I think more so on the party's behalf than on voters behalf I would hope that they would continue to incorporate uh, like you say, these considerations around environment, because, you know, so long as COVID is going to be around, we still have to be hopefully making strides uh, in addressing uh, in each of the parties in each of the different categories of policy, how we can incorporate um, addressing climate change in that. But to our last question, and, and I think this one is definitely open to interpretation, there's a lot of different directions you could go with this. How do you feel these recent COVID elections? Uh, I know today we mostly focused on BC, Saskatchewan and PEI because they all took place within a week of each other, uh, but as well add New Brunswick in there that took place in September. How do you feel these recent COVID elections have signaled to either the federal government or the provinces the direction in which Canada is going? I, I think they have deceived the governments that you mentioned. Um, the governments that, including the, the uh, New Brunswick, um, results in the New Brunswick election and the PC party there, believe that the polling results that they're seeing, the high levels of, of approval and translated into success at, at the, at, in the election is an indication that the, that the public uh, supports the party in, in a broad range of, of uh, policies and in, in their leadership. Um, I, I think that's. I think they're deceiving themselves. I think they think it's as simple as that. Um, the the public's memory uh, is short. Um, <laughs> if 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 this pandemic is over in this calendar year, um, in 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 two years from now, uh, it'll be already a distant memory. Uh, um, it, it, people will have forgotten. Uh, what 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 the what the danger level was? They'll remember the inconveniences. So the governments are going to have to uh, be very sure that they have something else to offer. And if they think that they can simply uh, go back to say, well, look what we did during COVID, that's not going to fly in in the next elections. Uh, so if they believe that the reason why they won is because they have a resounding support of the public uh, for their leadership and for their policies, I think mm -hmm. they're wrong. I, I, I think basically <laughs> the public is saying, we don't want to see change right now. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, want, we, we want you to do what you're doing and, and, and they do think they're doing a good job, but what, what you're doing is protecting us uh, and, and we want you to continue to do that. We're, we're afraid of changing at, at this point. Once the danger is gone, they're not going to be, be thinking, thinking that way. So, so uh, you know, prudence says, yes, you have to deal with short term 
um, emergencies, but you better be prepared for the long term as well, because you'll get caught by by surprise. Uh, it's, it's 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 little things like cabinet structure. Uh, who is who is has the most influence? Who doesn't has changed right now? Uh, the people in the files that that normally are not seen as the sort of key to the to the government's overall in, in direction now are. Uh, 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 education ministers are suddenly some of the most important ministers in government. Uh, education ministers should always be the most important. <laughs> government. You know, I'm, I'm in education, but they, they tend not to be, right? Uh, but they are now. They're the ones that have to make the, make the extremely difficult decisions mm, about school time. closings and openings and all that, all, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, they, so, so they're, they're, they have risen up. Uh, in, in, in cabinet in, 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 in terms of their influence and their and their, their priorities. Health ministers obviously the same. Mm. Well that's interesting that health ministers across the country are is it really depends on the constituency which or the province which health minister is seen as front and center and which which ones are not. Um, but anyway so 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 that's gonna all change again. So there's gonna be a complete complete reorganization just in terms of the of the informal hierarchies in cabinet. So they better be prepared because I can imagine that once this is over, they're, they're, there's going to be some stumbling where they're, where they're not going to be able to, they're going to not, they're, 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 the, 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 the uh, parameters will have changed, uh, you know, to use a sports metaphor, the, 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 the playing conditions have changed and they better be able to adapt to it because if they're not, I think they may be in for surprise. I, I suspect you'll see a, a massive drop in approval ratings as, as, as soon as, uh, as, as, soon as we've, we've, we've put this, this pandemic to bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, all the interesting conversations and the insights with us today in this interview. Uh, we really You're appreciate you giving us your time. Now, you know, there's another segment that's part of our podcast that's a lot more informal uh, for those folks listening who might not necessarily be as into public policy, and it's called MRM, so it's Movie, Restaurant, or Music. Um, and okay. we have everyone chatting a little bit about one of the three. And we know, of course, that you really like talking about politics in movies and media. So do you have any movie recommendations for us today or any of the other categories? Wow. Okay. That's uh, uh, um, my, <laughs> my question. Well, it's awesome because there's so, there's, there's so many, so many uh, great movies out there and, uh, and particularly political movies. Uh, one of the courses that I teach every once in a while is called Politics and Film, um, mm -hmm. where we, we look at, at movies that have that either that either have uh, uh, um, political themes or or illustrate great principles of, of of politics. Going back into things like like political theory, uh, but my favorite movie of all time is still Casablanca, mm -hmm. uh, and you know it's it's a very flawed movie. Uh, it, it, there's, <laughs> there's, there's so many mistakes in it, if you want, or historical errors, uh, which reflect when it was made. It was was made before the United States had even had even declared war. So 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 it, it was it, it came out you know a, 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 after the, 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 that the, the war was on. So there, so this, but it, it's still fascinating, and, and it's and it's a fascinating study of of, uh, of geopolitics. Uh, so, so that that would be what, uh, what, one of my my favorite movies uh, for sure. Um, in terms of, of uh, restaurants, we're blessed on Prince of the Island uh, to have mm. probably more good restaurants per capita than, than any other <laughs> similar. Dangerous. Uh, well, it's in, yes, for sure. And, and a lot has to do with, you know, things like the Culinary Institute uh, and, and just the way in which they've, they've embraced uh, using local products to, to produce 
fantastic food. So, so, so I'm a huge fan of restaurants. It's the big thing I miss during COVID is, is, uh, mm. is that I, I, I think I've gone up to a restaurant twice and both times mm. only for lunch, not, not, not even for dinner. Mm. Um, but I, I, I am a foodie. I, I, I love really good food. <laughs> uh, and I, and, I, and, and, and my, the, the best part for me moving here, I mean, I only came over from New Brunswick, so, so it wasn't like it was a, a, a big cultural change. But just the overall quality of the of the produce mm-hmm. and, and and the food that you could get, and I'm a big seafood fan, of course, so, so that mm-hmm. helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the third one? Music. Uh, yes. You, you, you said uh, so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting. I I, I do a, a radio spot with a, a Halifax radio station, and uh, uh, we often get distracted. And and uh, uh, and, and, and and on my Saturday Saturday uh, interview. Uh, the lead-in to the to the interview that the the uh, they were playing Led Zeppelin, and uh, so so the so Todd Vino is is the person who interviews me. Said you know you, you know basically he didn't say it this way, but given your age, oh <laughs> you no! Well, he's a, he's a, he's almost the same age as me, so he's he's allowed to get away with it. So the, you must remember these groups, and and it and it it, it, it is true. Like so 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 I'm a kid who grew up in the '60s, right? Uh, but but. Uh, I didn't reach teenage years until the 70s, um, and uh, so so the 60s music I knew as well as a kid would know. When you're a teenager, that's when you're buying your first albums, mm. right? And that must be deal. And the music of the time that was that really attracted my attention was what we now call progressive rock, but we didn't we didn't we wouldn't <laughs> have called it that, that then. It was basically heavy metal, uh, as was, was what we used for it. Um, but these were bands. Uh, Led Zeppelin was one of them. Uh, Jethro Tull was was the one that was was, was my favorite. Um, uh, Black Sabbath was another one. Uriah Heep, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Um, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is, is a good example. They were they were uh, uh, very well trained uh, musicians, extremely knowledgeable about their music, uh, and they and they used all sorts of, of uh, Techniques in terms of things like orchestration and uh, and, and uh, uh, texture and and storytelling in, in order to bring their music forward, and um, I absolutely love love that music. And it's interesting because it's it's still it still plays so well today. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's I, I always find it remarkable when I'm listening to to radio stations when I hear songs and music that's being played, and and, you, and I think of the of when that you know song first came out. And then I try to think of what what would have been like in my time. So you know, people are still playing music like Elton John, for example, who was we all liked Elton John, but he was just a little past past the sort of the type of music that that, that I was I was really into. Uh, but if you think think of the Elton John's breakthrough album came in in the, in 1970, uh, and we're still playing Elton John today. So. What, what, what are we talking about? Um, do my math for me. Fifty years to me. I think Al Jolson maybe. Inconceivable to me that in 1970 I'd be listening to music from 1920. Mm. But it's not unusual today to be listening to music from 1970 and even 1960s, and 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 it's and it still it still works. I find I find that to be, to be a music. 
Wow, we typically only do. Everyone takes one. Oh, I'm category. sorry. I, 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 I hugged them. them all. I thought you no, wanted to talk about all no, three. No, it's perfect. Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. Very insightful. Well, I'll try and match that. The the first one I'll start with. I'll stick to the political movie theme. And Sweda's going to be mad. I stole this one. I'm going to go with Death of Stalin. Came out a number oh. of years ago. Directed by Armando Iannucci and has Jeffrey Tambor, Steve Buscemi, and a couple other great actors. And it's a satirical look at when Stalin had died and what was going to take place. And so uh, just the pure, I think, delivery of uh, political satire is, oh, it's 11 out of 10 in this film. I love it. If folks <laughs> haven't seen it, it's wonderful. Um, I, I mean, both Jeffrey Tabor and Steve Buscemi are, are Hall of Famers in their own right for a number of different roles that they've had, but it's, it's a great film. As for a restaurant, I'm going to go with um, a place called Julep. I was recently there. It's in Halifax. It is a cocktail specialty restaurant kind of similar to Terra Rosa here they do a lot of different stuff um so I was really impressed with that and then as for the music I've recently been listening to this is gonna sound funny the Ratatouille soundtrack uh, my friend and I went as Ratatouille uh two characters from this animated children's film for Halloween and so in order to prepare of course psychologically for these roles we listened to the soundtrack and I quite like it so those are the three I'm gonna go with over to you Sweta okay so with the movies since everyone's sticking to the political theme I'll do that too and I'm thinking of a 1961 American movie. It's called Judgment at Nuremberg. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites, yeah. <laughs> so it's about the Nuremberg trials that happened um, after World War II, where a number of high-level Nazi officials were being tried. And what's really interesting about this movie is that everyone's denying, you know, sympathizing with Hitler. And you're just sitting there like, if all of you didn't sympathize with him, then who did? How did he mm -hmm. gain so much power? So... It's a really interesting movie and I really like it. Um, in terms of restaurant, um, just recently I went to the Water Prince Corner Shop, which should be closing up soon uh, for the winter. And they had these very fresh oysters and lobsters and I love seafood. So that was a lot of fun. It's also got a really nice homey feel and you can have pictures of the walls of every you know famous person who's been there. So I really like it. Um, in terms of music, um, and I'm going to steal this one from Emma because I feel like this would have come up eventually. Um, I'd like to talk about Lady Gaga's Chromatica, which is a really good album. Gaga. Uh, came out earlier this year, got some really great collabs. It's got really interesting sounds, some of them very modern and a lot of them throwing back to her previous uh, albums. So, yes, those are my three recommendations for the day. That Judgment at Nuremberg, absolutely fantastic cast. And uh, William Shatner has a, has a small role in that, by the way. Um, <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, you'll see, you'll see him. And I think he plays a, a, a soldier, uh, a colonel, and, and, and comes up to the judge in, in, in a restaurant. It's, very, it's a very small role, but, he, but, he, but he's in that film, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I unfortunately have to scoot to work. I shouldn't say unfortunately. I, I love this conversation. I also love my job. So it's stuck between two, two things here. I do have to scoot. Thank you so much, Don, for this wonderful conversation. As always, it's, 
it's a pleasure and thank you again for to do this well, you're very welcome i really enjoyed it as well good thank you so much john thank you all right have a wonderful day have a lovely day everyone okay bye, bye. folks bye that is all the time we have for you folks today. Thank you so much for listening for our COVID elections episode with Dr. Don Desarude. Thank you so much. As always, our music is from the talented Shane Pendergast. He's got a couple shows coming up in the near and as well distant future, if you want to call it that. Uh, one of the ones is at Trailside Music Hall. That's on December 21st. Tickets are $25 and you could get those on the Trailside uh, website at trailside.ca. I will say I was just there the other night for the first time since the recent <laughs> renovations. It's gorgeous. Highly recommend. And of course, always recommend Shane. And if you don't want to wait until December 21st to see the very talented Shane Pendergast, then he will be performing with his band, The Spud Pickers, at The Manse, so that's in Marshfield, PEI, on Thursday, November 19th, 2020, from 7 to 9 p.m., and the tickets are $25 as well. You can find more information on his website, www.shanependergast.com, or on social media. Aspen.